We'll begin in Matthew chapter 13, and we'll read verses 45 and 46 to begin with. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 45, Jesus says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless our lesson this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Father, that Jesus is the sweetest name that we know. He is the dearest, the most... We don't have the words, Father. We don't have the adjectives that are sufficient to describe what He is and all that He is to us. He is our all in all. I thank You, Father, that we have record of His Word. I thank You, Father, that we have record of His life, Lord, that You have taken such efforts to record this for us that we might know who our dear one was and what he said and what he taught father help us to take hold to lay hold of what he had father that we might receive all that he has for us help us this morning to understand all that you have for us we pray help us to rejoice in it i ask in jesus name amen man my voice got husky there didn't it Excuse me. My voice is doing kind of funny things this morning, so I ask that you would excuse me for that, and hopefully it will make it through the entirety of our lesson this morning. But uh, this parable, I'm sure you're, well, if you've attended this assembly for very long, likely, uh, it's likely that you've sung number 156, I believe, in the Brown book, The Goodly Pearl, which is how it's translated in the King James Version, that when he found, well, he was looking for goodly pearls. Uh, you're familiar with the concept of this pearl of great price, perhaps. It's a parable of, of the Lord's, a brief one, two verses there. And it's among a number of other parables. And I like parables. I like how the Lord presents these things. I, I don't pretend to understand every facet of every one of them. He gives us understanding of the, of the things that we need to understand as we seek to understand those things. But, you know... I see what they are, and I appreciate what the Lord was trying to do when he was speaking these. I've always enjoyed moral lesson stories, even outside of Scripture. I've always enjoyed Aesop's fables when I was a kid, and different, not nursery rhymes, but, you know, those, those well, Hans Christian Andersen and, and the like, those ones who had a moral, a defined, this is what happens when you mess up, and this is what happens when you do the right thing. I've always enjoyed those things, and of course, Jesus, when he speaks the parable... When he speaks these different examples, well, it's kind of in narrative form, certainly, but it has the, well, the extra piece that it speaks of eternal truth. You know, it speaks of eternal blessing. It speaks of of absolute what we are, not only is it entertaining to read, but it's absolutely what we're called to do. And so I enjoy that he puts it in a, in a, in a, uh, well, a form that, that speaks to me. Now, uh, oftentimes his parables as you see here in Matthew chapter 13 oftentimes he refers to the kingdom of heaven and those sorts of things now the kingdom of heaven is kind of a broad descriptor you also see the kingdom of God referred to in scripture and it is broad in what it considers oftentimes it can refer to everything that well let me say it this way it can refer to where the Lord abides just now the kingdom of heaven heaven being what it is it can extend over all of his people all of his believers the kingdom of heaven being everyone affiliated everything that he touches everything that he's involved with it can refer more specifically to well the the lord jesus who came 
to speak to Israel specifically. That's what his ministry was to. Oftentimes it, it extends to that kingdom age that is to come, that millennial kingdom that is well, following this age that we are in just now when Jesus comes down and extends the kingdom of heaven even to involve earth to some extent. I don't want to get into all of that this morning, but it's a broad descriptor, kingdom of heaven, that speaks to a number of different things. Now, when it speaks here of the kingdom of heaven, uh, in our verse, let me just get straight to the point here on 45 and 46. Oftentimes people look at this and they just say that this is our approach to our desire for the kingdom of heaven, that we're searching for a pearl of great price, that Jesus is a pearl of great price, that his, his word for us is that pearl of great price. And, you know, I, I appreciate that the word can be applied to a number of different things and in a number of different ways. But I want to know precisely what the, what the Lord has for me in his word. And I want to know the most accurate that I can. And while it does apply that thought, in verse 44 say, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I'm grateful for the thought, for those ones who would look at this and say, You know what, I'm willing to give up everything for Jesus. But Jesus isn't the treasure hidden in the field, and that's not what he's pointing to here. And the pearl of great price isn't Jesus and us pursuing him. And even though this speaks of the kingdom of heaven, and you can look there in verses 37 through 43, and you can see that there are, well, there are shades of that kingdom age spoken of then, the gnashing and wailing, gnashing of teeth, and those things that will take place and will be satisfied in the kingdom to come. We can see here as we consider well, 44, 45, and 46, that we're involved in this depiction of the kingdom of heaven. We are involved in this. It's not just that kingdom age when Jesus rules on this, over this earth for that thousand years. This isn't just a kingdom teaching of that millennial kingdom. This speaks to us. Uh, we are among, well, this treasure here, this treasure hidden in the field. And, well, I desire to be a pearl of great price. And that's what we're considering this morning. We who have partaken of this heavenly kingdom that are a part of, of the Lord's people, his church, those ones who believe. Well, I want to see and I want to express exactly what he's pointing out here. What we can be uh, as pearls of great price here. Now, I haven't checked out any of the ladies this morning to see what they're wearing, but I'm guessing nobody's wearing pearls. Am I Right. I don't think I've seen anyone wear a pearl in this place. I haven't seen a string of pearls now that I think about it. I haven't seen a string of pearls on anybody. Maybe Sharon Rainey back in Colorado? I'm not sure. Does anyone here have a string of pearls? Oh, shame on me! <laughs> shame on me for not looking closer, but that would have been creepy if I had, wouldn't it have? There it is, a string of pearls, and Helena has some pearls. So see, we have some classy ladies in this, in this place. Oh, goodness. Well, I am not familiar, very familiar with the string of pearls. I'm not sure who all has them, but I do know what pearls are, and understanding what a pearl is. And You know what? Visual aid this morning, you know, after the lesson is done, I invite everybody to come visit with Christina. I want you to take her string, and I want you to check these things out. You know what a pearl is. You have a mollusk, whether it's a, 
an oyster or a clam. Yes, clams can make pearls. I just read a story about a man up in northeastern uh, United States. I think he was in Massachusetts. And he says, I just stopped by my, my clam shop. And he says, I just got what I typically do. And he ordered a dozen clams. And he was eating it. And he thought he broke a tooth. And that his crown came off. And it ended up being a pearl. He says, I didn't even know pearls could come in a clam. Anyway, they looked at it. And it was worth something along six or $7,000 or something like that. So he had it mounted on a ring or something. I, I don't know. If you like a pearl ring, whatever, whatever. But you know where they come from, right? They come from a mollusk. And essentially, it's just a little grain of sand gets inside of that, that shell or, or some other kind of debris, something that irritates that, well, it's essentially, uh, it could be really gross to describe these things. I don't eat clams. I don't eat oysters. I have before. Man, they turn my stomach. Maybe you like them, but it's essentially just a, just a little mass of just, yeah, you know what it, you know what it reminds you of, yes. And, uh, and so anyway, it just sits there, and as it's irritated by that little grain of sand or debris, it secretes this stuff. And the stuff is called aragonite and conculin. And it's just this, that mirrory type shimmery iridescent stuff that, no, if you look on our guitars back here, you probably see some mother of pearl on the inlays, on the fret markers and stuff. It's kind of iridescent, much like the pearl that you see there. It's an iridescent type stuff that essentially coats that. And then as it gets bigger, it continues to irritate that mollusk. And it, so it continues to secrete that stuff over it until it coats layer after layer after layer of this stuff. When you think about it, a lot of the stuff we get involved in is really gross. I mean, thinking about the excretion of a cow, that's what milk is, right? It's just, it's gross when you think about it. A pearl, when you get down to it, it's pretty gross. This little snotty little thing here is secreting its own snot, and it hardens up and it makes that, but we value this stuff because it's pretty, right? So you understand what it is, and knowing what these things are, how they're constructed, what they're made up of, how rare that they are, help us to understand the very rather simple analogy that the Lord Jesus was making in regards to this pearl of great price. Uh, we're going to consider that this morning and look at just, well, about three, three specific characteristics of these pearls and how we relate to them, all right? Uh, the first one is just very simple. As we're looking here at verse 45 and 46, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And I want you to understand from the outset that you are a beautiful pearl and you are sought by the Lord. He came looking for you. You know, we talk all the time about finding the Lord, and there's a certain measure of accuracy to that because, you know, seek me while I may be found, the Lord says. You know, um, we're to be looking for him and looking for him. And, and, well, it's true. We need to find him and we need to continue pursuing him. But how difficult is he to find when you want, when you want him? He's not, he's not difficult. How come? Because he's found you from the word go. <laughs> he looked for you. Hide and seek with, with a kid is... I don't know. You've play, played hide and seek with kids ready or not here i come they tell you when they're coming after you so you can fool a kid you know i i could get to where my grandchild i have played hide and seek with her and she got i hid so well that she stopped looking for me you know i'm like she just gave up and she went she wanted to watch tv or something else got distracted with something else if i wanted to be found by anybody here or my grandchild or whatever i find them first right if i need to be found i'm going to be looking for them and so What's nice to know is that we were sought by the Lord. 
Pearl cultivation today is a lot simpler. Uh, I won't say it's a simple process, but it's a lot in order to harvest those things and, and craft those pearls and collect them. It's a lot simpler than it was back in the day. Back in Jesus' day, it was difficult work. It was dangerous work. Uh, it was a remarkable work when you think about it. They would take stones. You know, we have weight belts. If you're a scuba diver, you know what a weight belt is. is to help you to submerge and get down to death. They would Depth, not death. <laughs> No, don't, don't scuba dive to death. It would take you down to depth because we're naturally buoyant. So these people would take their stone and a basket or a net or something like that, and they would go where they supposed that the, the oysters would be or the clams would be, oftentimes somewhere between 40 and 50 feet was the happy spot. Think about free diving that without a mask back in the day, without the fed air, without scuba, without those things. Go down there, they grab the oysters, grab the... The clams, break them off the rock, put them in the nets, bring them upstairs, muscle those things. Muscle, get that? See what I did? M-U-S-S-E-L. Muscle those things open. No clams. You know, if they want to eat it, that's fine, but there's no, no, oi- no clams, no oyster. Goodness, I can't speak this morning. No pearl. No pearl. May or may not be a pearl in there. It was a game of chance, and it was a dangerous one. Uh, no assurance of a return on that. So those ones who were, well, going out to dive for such things, well, they wanted, they wanted value back on those things. Pearls were rarer back in the day than they are today. Today you can implant artificially, implant that debris. You can collect all of the clams, all of the oysters in a controlled environment. You can feed them or, or do whatever it requires to prompt them and stimulate them to create that pearl. That's why they call them cultured pearls, because you've done what you need to to prompt that. Uh, The rare ones were the ones that were found in the natural and were produced naturally, and they were big, and they were maybe a little bit irregular, and not the, the cultured ones that we see today, and they were expensive. This merchant was looking for those ones. He was seeking beautiful Pearls, it says there in verse 45. Seeking those things, looking for those things. Uh, evidently, he had some of those things, and he was looking for more of them, perhaps, if you want to just carry out what that parable means. And what it reminds me of as we consider this being the Lord Jesus is look in Luke chapter 15. Uh, this reminds me of the Good Shepherd, the one that is looking. In Luke chapter 15, what do we see in there in uh, verse 4 of Luke chapter 15? What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Verse 7 says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. So, this shepherd, the good shepherd who had a hundred sheep, lost one, wanted that extra one. Wanted that one, you know, not at the loss, not at the cost of the other 99, but certainly made his efforts to go lay hold of that one, searching for that one. The Lord pursues everyone. He pursues everybody. He offered himself for everybody. He offers himself to anybody. It's important to understand that. You know, different ones will say, he came and he just preached to Israel. That's all it was. It was only to Israel and and we're somehow just on the outside looking in. Jesus' own words to Nicodemus were, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believes in him of that entire world that he loved, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, he came to preach to Israel, but he came to preach for everybody. That's, that's where it is. And so the Lord has these beautiful pearls. He made it his purpose to search for these beautiful pearls. Uh, he offered himself for everyone, offered himself to anybody, and he continues to search. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He continues to search, continues pursuing, continues to look. Now, not all will open the door to him. We understand that. Not all want to be found. If I don't want to be found by my granddaughter, I won't be because I am much better, much better hiding than she is. Now, the Lord is much better searcher than I am a hider. But there are those, those ones that say, I don't want to be found. And so the Lord doesn't force himself on anybody. Not all want to be found. In Ezekiel chapter 3, the Lord told Ezekiel in regards to those ones who wanted to remain in rebellion. What did he say? He says, thus says the Lord God, he who hears, let him hear. And he who refuses, let him refuse. There are those times when there are those ones who say, I don't want any part of it. I don't want any part of what he has. They refuse. They rebel. They make it. Conscious choice. I'm not interested. I have no, no purpose for this. But the Lord still knocks. He still pursues. And those who do open up to him, those who will hear and not refuse him, those ones who accept his presence, who accept his justification, who accept his salvation, that redemption, all of those things, he will find that pearl. And he will enter into fellowship with them. And he will make that one beautiful. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. We aren't beautiful when he finds us. <laughs> all right? We aren't. I'm not going to belabor that point. I do it quite frequently. I've called you all dogs recently. I've called you all a number of different things. I've called myself that uh, as well. We're not beautiful when he founds us, but guess what he makes us? He makes us beautiful. We are beautiful to him. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And when he finds us and we receive Jesus, when we receive his salvation, he begins to make us beautiful. We think about that. You know, a lot of people sit and, well, kind of drumbeat some of the more oh, sappy things in the word. Sometimes we, we over-romanticize things in the Word. I, I kind of, well, I kind of have that against the church at large these days, is that they over-romanticize and they over-emote and they over-feel things and they make so much of an emotion. This is coming from an emotional man. I, I get emotional over the things of God, but so often we're investing into the emotion of things that in my desire to remove the emotion from it and not be so invested in it, well, you can overlook the, the sweet things and the, the truths of that. You're beautiful to the Lord. Now, you know, I always want to be attractive to my wife. I do. And I know she wants to be attractive to me. You want to be appealing to those ones that, well, that you're given to appeal to. I want to be beautiful to the Lord. I don't want him to look at me and go, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. You know, so I'm not going to make any baby jokes, but babies aren't always beautiful. 
know, to anyone except for their parents. Always beautiful to their parents, right? The parents are just going to look at this baby that might be funny looking. All baby pictures are funny. Let's just be honest. All baby pictures are like, oh, goodness. But you look at it and like, this thing is beautiful because I see something in here. Spectacular. I see something remarkable. As soon as Eli arrived, my firstborn, here he was, that little guy all white and nasty and, and pinched in his lips. And, you know, he looked absolutely ridiculous, you know, because that's what babies do. They look ridiculous. Man, he was beautiful, man. Beautiful. Because I saw me in him. And I saw Allie in him. And oh my goodness, he looks like, well, he looks like Papa Sinks, doesn't he? And look, he looks like, well, there's, there's a little bit of, you know, my mom in there. And there's my dad. And you can start seeing some things. And you recognize beauty. Let me say it again. You are beautiful to the Lord. You. I'm beautiful to the Lord. Beautiful to the Lord. What makes us so? What makes us so beautiful to Him? Well, getting right to the point, He sees Jesus in us, right? He sees who He finds dear in us. Beautiful. It's not necessarily a physical thing. We understand this. Uh, We put a whole lot of, well, we put a whole lot of credence into natural beauty these days. We filter our pictures Oh, this sunset here, I sent a picture, I went out on a run yesterday morning and the sun came up and it was beautiful. Man, it was, it was remarkable to look at because the storm had just passed and so the sun was coming up behind it. It was awesome. And my first inclination when I saw it was like, oh, what would that look like? It, I don't need to filter. I don't need to filter this. This is beautiful. So I sent it out to, to the family and I almost even put on there, no filter. You know, there's no filter on this. But our natural inclination is just to try to make it just a little bit more appealing to our natural eye. Proverbs 11.22, I won't turn there, but it's one of my favorite verses. It says, As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely or a beautiful woman who lacks discretion, who lacks sense. And discretion, wisdom, sense, all these things come from the Lord. A woman can be absolutely beautiful to look at, and a man for that, for that matter, can be absolutely beautiful to look at, but it's a waste. It's a waste of beauty if they don't have discretion, wisdom, the things of God within. The Lord Jesus makes us beautiful. In what beauty is actually valid, credible, and real. First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 29. David calls for us to find beauty and to operate in beauty. And he says so in this way. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Uh, this is where he presented this psalm to Asaph or the sons of Asaph, I believe. Uh, it was Psalm 96. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Where does holiness come from? Well, it comes from Christ, we understand. It comes from the Lord. That's the only place where we can find it. Psalm 149 and verse 4. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Where does salvation come from? From Christ for us. No question. It's from Christ. It comes from the Lord. He will beautify us. We have a name and a person attached to the way of salvation and the way of holiness. The source of beauty is the Lord Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He is what beautifies God's people. To the Father, beauty is seen in His people, in Christ in us. To Jesus, the beauty that He sees in us is that holiness and righteousness that He sees of His Father in us, created in His own image, right? He created man in His own image. We have 
aspects of him, facets of him. And when we share that holiness, share the righteousness of the Father that's found in the Lord Jesus, Jesus is, well, it's attractive to him. It's beautiful to him. Nothing goofy, nothing creepy, nothing lewd or anything like that. Don't, don't fall into those. Again, silly romanticism is, is foolish. He looks at it and he says, this is beautiful. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that he sees beauty. We share beauty with Jesus. You know, there are things, well, those people that you love and those people that you hang out with, those people that you marry, what do you marry them for? What do you find beautiful in them? Oftentimes it's things in common, things that you share with them. Uh, I probably lay out more of my family's characteristics than I probably should, but Allie and I, we're just as happy as happy can be on a Saturday morning, going grabbing coffee, sitting down someplace and looking at something pretty, or just driving through a pretty neighborhood or something like that. We have that in common. You know, there might be, there might be other women out there who would say, where's the fun in that? I'm not married to them. It's a good thing because <laughs> we'd be like this, right? Allie and I are completely satisfied with that. Vacation to us, find a little beach town, California, or find a, a pretty set of trees and redwoods someplace and just go sit and look at them. We're satisfied with that. That's what we have in common. Uh, good night for us is just sitting at home enjoying our kids, going and having a good meal, something like that. We share that. We have this in common. We see that in one another. We have traits in common with the Lord Jesus. We have a shared righteousness with Him, we understand. We have a new creation in us that actually is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So when the Lord looks at us and says, what do I cherish in these ones? They cherish the connection. He cherishes the connection that we have with His Son that He finds so beautiful. God finds it beautiful that we are transformed into His image from glory to glory. He looks at that and He's, well, it's something that's appealing to Him. Jesus, Jesus says in John chapter 2, let's turn to, sorry, John chapter 10. Well, that good shepherd is speaking of his sheep there in John chapter 10. There's a shared quality that the shepherd has with his sheep and these pearls. In John ten fourteen, he calls himself the good shepherd, doesn't he? I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Now, the shepherd doesn't have a lot in common with the sheep, naturally speaking. If I told, if I told Adrian, ah, you know, you and uh, Ram number 12, you guys look alike. That would be insulting, right? He's got his sheep farm. If a sheep came up there and looks at me with his big dumb eyes and I said, Adrian, yeah, yeah, I see it. That's insulting, right? It's, in, it's insulting. There's no insult here when the Lord says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And I am known by my own. We have something in common with our shepherd. Not the least of which there is that he says, I'm the good shepherd. Or the goodly shepherd. Or beautiful shepherd. The same term, the same consideration of these beautiful pearls. As we mimic and transform ourselves from being just merely dumb sheep to reflecting more of that good shepherd, that goodly shepherd, that beautiful shepherd, and are transformed from glory to glory into his image, we're beautified and made more beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. Saints, as soon as you accepted the Lord Jesus and that new creation was opened up and the Lord saw Christ in you, the hope of glory, you were beautiful to him. Understand that. Recognize that. He doesn't just balk at you. He doesn't put you aside as trash. You're something beautiful to him. Now, 
the wonderful thing is, while he values you, <clears throat> you are valued by the Lord in this beauty, he can make you more valuable by making you more beautiful. The Lord has sought these pearls. Again, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now you understand in verse 44 where it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure, in a, treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and, and buys that field. Jesus didn't just find you, didn't just stumble upon you, but follow the, follow the analogy here. It's, it's a, oh, I have this treasure. Put it in this field, I'm going to buy all of it and everything inside of it. It kind of collects that entire kingdom of God, the entire people of God, all of those ones, again, that God so loved the world, loved them in this way and this much, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, everyone involved, that's who that treasure is hidden in the field there. But it goes on here, and the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was seeking beautiful pearls, pursuing something more, something extra. And then he found one, one pearl of great price, and he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Of all of his pearls, of all of the beautiful pearls, there is that one of great price. Listen, I've looked at more pearls over the course of the last few days than, than I have ever looked at in, ever before, just in preparation of this lesson. And you can find some real just junky, janky pearls that you can get for really cheap. And you can tell just by looking at them, well, it's a junky, janky pearl. It's kind of off kilter. It's got a little nub sticking out over here. There's a little black spot right there. Uh, and then you look at these other ones, you're like, whew, that one looks pretty nice because it's this big. And it's super smooth, and the sheen is exceptional. And well, yes, it's worth $8,000 or $9,000 and has a certificate of authenticity and etc., etc., etc. There are differences between pearls. Differences by far. Uh, I am sure that Christina's pearl necklace there is the quadruple A, 100%. Man, someone needs to shake her down outside and snatch those pearls because they're too valuable. Just no. Uh, I'm not sure what the value of those are. I'm not sure if you bite on them or whatever. I remember biting on one of my grandma's pearls because that's what you did to check the authenticity of things, right? Grandma had a thing and I bit it and it was plastic and it stuck in my teeth. I was like, oh, that's not, that can't be pearl, right? There are differences in value of pearls. And the Lord finds one. Great, great price. Now when it says there, he went and sold all that he had and bought it, I think it can be misinterpreted there that that pearl of great price, and it is misinterpreted at times, that that pearl of great price is the entire church. Because, well, he gave everything he had for everyone in church, right? So how can this be, as we're going to consider, how can this be just merely the bride of Christ? How can you say this is isolated to just one segment of the church at large? He, he, he paid everything for everyone, but yes, he did. He did pay everything for everybody. But what was the intent of the Lord dying? What was the intent of the Father sending the Son? His intent was that the entire church be given the opportunity to be that pearl of great price and not just merely a beautiful pearl. To be something more than just, 
Just one to enter the gates of heaven. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. This one's come up a couple of times in the last few weeks. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Paul speaking, well, to different ones in regards to their role in the family, husbands, wives. He talks to bond servants and the like. Here he speaks specifically to husbands as their example, their picture of themselves being Christ, and their bride being Well, the bride. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. I'm going to point this out because I thought it was good that Brother David did this a couple Sundays ago. He pointed out that that word her, if you have the King James Version, it's it. It's it. It's it. It's the church. It's speaking of the church, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church and bring something more out of that church, that it would be not just... Well, this isn't speaking just for... Well, let me continue here. I don't want to confuse you. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The point being is not all of it, not all of the church will be holy and without blemish. There are those ones found by the Lord, allow themselves to be found, believe, hear the knock, open the door, allow the Lord Jesus to come in. And then you know that they don't pursue the things of God. They don't pursue Jesus for a closer relationship. Don't pursue him for everything that he paid. Jesus paid it all for all. But not everyone takes him up on everything that he pays for. Here's some more stuff. I'm going to dime Alley out. Uh, some of you might remember Groupon. I'm not even sure if it's a thing anymore. But back when Groupon was kind of a thing, back in the mid-2010s or so, I got a Groupon for a mani-pedi for Alley. It was her birthday or something like that. And evidently, I didn't know her very well because I got this for her and she didn't, she didn't want it. <laughs> It just is what it is. She's not much for the old mani-pedi. She's not much for people touching her feet. She's not much for that sort of thing. And so I bought that Groupon and said, here you go, you can redeem it any time between this time and this time, and, and it's all yours. And she never did. She never redeemed it. Um, it was paid for, right? It was paid for. She never went up and took it. Now, I hate to compare her to those ones who are failing before the Lord, <laughs> But the Lord, the Lord paid fully a provision. And not everyone takes that fullness of that provision. Well, you know what? I'll go in there and, and I'll have them do my nails, you know, but I don't want them touching my feet. Or you know, I'll have them do this. I'm not going to. The Lord paid for the whole thing for everybody. He paid for the whole thing for the entire church. But only a small portion of the church is willing to go in and be fully beautified by the Lord by drawing the nearest to the Lord Jesus. And that's what he's speaking here. He did sanctify her. He did cleanse her. He did offer the word to the church that he might present the church to himself, a glorious church, that he might have them be without spot, without wrinkle. But there are those ones who don't want to be without spot, without wrinkle, or at least not pursue the Lord Jesus that they might have those things removed, those wrinkles ironed out, uh, that they might be without blemish. Jesus paid it all 
for all, the way to salvation, the way to holiness, and the way to beauty, certainly. He is Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12.2 says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His greatest joy, the Lord Jesus, is our being finished. His greatest joy is our being that pearl of great price. He paid the price so that we might attain that greatest joy that he has. He understands not everyone's going to do it. We consider this all the time. And I believe rightly so because the scripture is there. And there's no need to not redeem the time that we have if he tells us to redeem the time that we have. We consider this often. The price has been paid. He has authored faith in us. He desires to finish that faith and to beautify us to where we look more and more and more like the Lord Jesus. Well, that's what we're called to do. If he offered his all, and he did, shouldn't we take it? That all includes sharing his own throne, we understand. As we look in Revelation, I'm not going to turn there, but those ones who will receive his all, receive the complete beautification that the Lord is offering to us, will be, again, in the midst and around the throne. We'll have that joint airship with him. Uh, well, in Luke fourteen twenty eight, he says, Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? The Lord understood what it was going to cost for everyone to attain to this. And he paid it so that anyone might lay hold of it. The sad part is, is that not everyone's going to take the mani-pedi. Not everybody is going to want to oh, want to receive all of it. We see that played out in a number of different places. A number of different places in, in the Word of God. I'll take you to Luke chapter 17 just for one example. I was actually talking with Sister Diane about this on Friday. Kind of making these observations just as we had a little conversation there. About how the vast minority of God's people. Let me say it this way. The vast majority of God's people don't pursue His finishing don't pursue his completion of them and we kind of see an example again luke chapter 17 let's read verses 11 through 19 luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 19 just kind of gives us a nice little well, a pictorial form of this beginning in verse 11 now it happened as jesus went to jerusalem that he passed through the midst of samaria and galilee then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Ten lepers were cleansed. All of them given that provision. All of them received the cleansing from the Lord. Were they not given access to even more than just merely cleansing? Weren't they given the same option? Where was the blessing at? I mean, I'll be honest with you. Have you seen that there's a resurgency of leprosy? I'm trying to think where it was that I just saw it. Maybe in South America? Florida? It's local. <laughs> you know? 
It's not even, yeah, there's a resurgence of leprosy. Again, I saw it in, in passing. And when I say leprosy, most of the time they would say that it is indeed Hansen's disease, what they call it, but it's disfiguring. It's all those things we consider oftentimes where it just destroys the nerves and causes tissue death and disfigurement, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, as disfiguring as it is, where was the greatest blessing here? Well, I dare say that the greatest blessing wasn't that he had the disfigurement removed from him, but that he was able to to kneel before the Son of God and worship Jesus looking straight in his face. That which we are desiring to do, ultimately. I mean, that's my desire every day. I can't wait for that when I might actually see him. What a great blessing he had. First off, that he could talk to him, heard him, was touched by him or cleansed by him. Then he had the option, the opportunity that he took. One out of ten took that opportunity to come back and worship. That thing that we are going to do for all eternity, which will be our purpose and our desire to some measure, to some extent that I can't fully comprehend for all of eternity. That one took that opportunity. And I think that's a good representation. I'm not going to say 10% of the, of the church is going to be the bride of Christ. 10%. I'm not going to say that. Again, during that conversation, we, we considered those seven churches in, in Asia. Two churches out of the seven didn't have the Lord chastising them. But only warning them, hold on to what you have, that no one take your crown. The other ones he had somewhat against them. They had blemishes, they had spots, they had wrinkles. Two out of seven, I guess that's somewhere a little bit less than 33%, right? 10% didn't come back. I'm not going to even say that somewhere in between that. I don't know what it is, but I know that the minority of God's people allow themselves to be beautified to the extent that the Lord says, I want to make you beautiful. I want to make you that pearl of great price. The great majority of God's pearls are satisfied with their, with their beauty. Uh, we shouldn't be. We should not be satisfied. Not when the Lord offers us more. So what do we do? What do we do? In my notes, sometimes I joke with myself in, in my notes. You know, some people don't want to go get the mani-pedi. They want to be satisfied with Fritos for their toenails. That's really gross when you get right down to it because that's, that's just kind of off-color and gross. But what is, it, what is it that prompts us? What is it that prompts us to go and look for the Lord's beautification? What, what is it that, well, that we can do to seek it and pursue it from Him? What are we called to do? What is it to go to the Lord and, and request Beautification. Well, as we were considering there about that pearl, what is it that produces that pearl? You have that clam, and somehow that sand gets in there, and it irritates, right? It's an irritation to that clam. So the clam goes to work on that. And so, I guess in a certain way, if you want to be finished by the Lord, and you want to be beautified and have continual layer after layer after layer... Well, I guess you need to try to irritate the Lord, don't you? Irritate Him. What do I mean by that? Annoy Him. Pester Him. Poke Him. Prod Him. Now, you understand that the Lord, I'm not saying that He's going to be irritated. I'm just saying that that's the analogy. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. What does irritation and annoyance to the Lord, quote unquote, look like? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks 
finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. John 14 and verse 13, ask whatever, and whatever you ask in my name, according to his will, in line with what he has, as we're beautified and look more and more like him, it's because we think more and more like him, we act more and more like him, we Share more and more of his traits and characteristics and desires. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it, he says. The next chapter, if you abide in me, we considered that earlier this morning, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. That's pretty strong words there, right? You will ask what... You desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. One more in Psalm 37, verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And then I like this in verse 5 where it says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. That word commit, elsewhere in Scripture it's translated roll. Elsewhere in Scripture it's also also translated wallow. I hate to bring up such an, not a real pleasant thing, but uh, Massa. When he was stabbed and, and gored, he wallowed in the street in his blood. He rolled around in it. Eh, It's kind of gross to think about, but it's not just merely commitment. The idea is rolling, rolling around, rolling like waves. You know what waves do when they're rolling? Consistent. And it erodes things out and it keeps on pounding on the rocks and pounding on the rocks and shaping the rocks and shaping the rocks and pounding on it. Is this annoying to you? We're supposed to roll like waves into the Lord over and over and over and over and finish me, Lord, and finish me, Lord, and continue to ask and ask and ask and ask. And does he break down any road like dirt and stone and that sort of thing? No, he says, I'll finish you. I'll finish you. I'll finish you. He doesn't get annoyed. That's the beauty of it. We continue to pester and ask him, not for stupid things, not for stupid things, child of God. Uh, you know, my grandbaby will ask me for the, for the dumbest things. She's two. You know, she does. She wants ice cream at breakfast, and, and she wants candy all the time, and she wants chocolate right before bed. And I say, no, honey, you can't have chocolate right before bed. But if she says, I'd like to pray before bed. Oh, of course. Can we pray? Can we pray? Can we pray? Man, I'll pray every stinking time with her, right? I don't care what time it is. I will pray with that girl. I'll talk about Jesus with her. Well, how much more do you think that the Lord will finish you when that's what he wants to do for you? Will it be annoying to me if anyone asks me to walk through John 3.16 with them? No, and I'm a man. I'm a man of flesh. I'm a man who gets, oh, I'm worn out right now. I'm tired. Someone comes up to me, can you explain Isaiah 53? Man, by the grace of God, I trust that I will always explain Isaiah 53 and do so gladly. How much more the perfect father that we have. How much more the tireless father that we have, the willing father that we have. How much more is he willing to beautify us into a pearl that looks like his son Jesus? Annoy him, child of God. Be that grain of sand that asks him continually. More, more please, more please. And let him finish you. What more could we possibly ask for than what we see? 
in Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. He sought you. He made you beautiful. And now he wants to make you, unfortunately, exceedingly rare in your beauty, which is finished. No matter how jumbo a pearl you might think that you are right now, or the opposite, no matter how small and insignificant and inconsequential you might believe your faith to be. Maybe you believe that you left off your faith for some time and you've been off. What a waste! What a waste of time! Saints, I have so much wasted time in my past and my history that I wish I could get back And I can't get it back, but you know what? If I annoy the Lord Jesus and I poke Him and I say more and more and more and more, all of a sudden, all that stuff, well, He'll just grow me and make us more and more beautiful until I am. And you are a pearl of great price. Saints, do your best to annoy and irritate that one who refuses to be annoyed and irritated by his children who are seeking Him, and He will finish you and make you a pearl of great price.